0: Genetic engineering holds the promise of one day fixing congenital health problems when the patient is just a zygote, but if you happen to already be older than a zygote, like I am, that doesn't necessarily mean it's too late. Medicine has historically been something we put in our bodies but what if we could alter the body itself to heal or even improve ourselves? Today we'll be talking about methods we might use to alter DNA in living organisms and why we might want to do it and what challenges might emerge if we can. I suppose the best place to begin is with the notion of designer babies. A recurring worry about the future and genetics is that folks might decide to custom make their children for preferred traits and also for traits that don't even exist in modern humans tweaking your kid to be very good looking, tall, smart, safe from any genetic disorders, and so on. Scary idea in many ways, but we'll be showing today that with certain technologies this doesn't have to be too scary, unfortunately it's also something we should expect to see and probably in at most two generations from now. Much like artificial intelligence, it's not a problem for today, but it is one for tomorrow, not just the pages of science fiction novels. That said, while we'll discuss designer babies to introduce the basic concepts and concerns, scientific and social and ethical, we're more interested today in altering the DNA of fully developed organisms, not just at the fertilization stage, but that's where we should start. The technology is already there, we can flat out print DNA these days, albeit at exorbitant cost in money and time at the moment. So yes we could take a sample of someone's DNA, digitally encode it, cut the undesired bits for other desired bits, print it, and stick it in an egg and implant that. We've some other methods too, which work better for minor tweaks, but that lets you do whatever you please. However, it doesn't guarantee a viable organism on the other side. Just because you can alter a blueprint to whatever you want and print it, doesn't mean the machine or building in that schematics is going to function well, You need to know what you're doing and if we tried to do much beyond replacing known genetic defects with safe strands or other existing human traits, or traits of whichever organism we're contemplating, we only have incredibly limited ways of determining if it will or will not turn out badly. Badly isn't just limited to the organism not being viable or having all the traits you wanted, but also long-term side effects. Being born a Superman, presumably to very wealthy parents too, Able to solve advanced math and science problems in between your gigs for your modeling career posing with Olympic gold medals is probably going to spawn some personality problems. It's hard to treat someone for narcissism if it's a bit debatable if they are actually narcissistic or merely realistic about how awesome they are. It ain't bragging if it's true, as the saying goes. Truth be told, I'm not terribly worried about elite superhumans wrecking society and I'll explain why in a bit, but it's a popular notion in sci-fi and it is a real concern that folks who have been significantly altered from the norm, even for the apparent better, might have all sorts of psychological issues, be it narcissism or depression or any of a hundred other things. So the big question, is it okay to alter your kid's DNA to be better than what they would get naturally? That's impossible to answer obviously, but like a lot of questions involving the ethics of future technologies, we should start by asking if this is really a new problem. As I've noted in previous episodes, civilizations have featured folks cobbling together potions for making you healthy or stronger or irresistibly attractive to others for at least as long as we've had records. That they didn't work doesn't change that folks thought they did and used them. Trying to shoot someone with a gun that doesn't work but you didn't know it didn't, is still attempted murder, and giving someone a love charm to garner their affections through mind control is not ethically better than giving them some high-tech brainwashing just because the latter presumably actually works. So whether or not it's okay to alter your kid's DNA to be better than natural, it's something we've been doing for a long time. I'm not really sure how DNA alteration would be uniquely different than any of the other methods we've used now or in the past, effective or not. Now two people contain a lot of DNA and an incredibly vast number of combinations are possible from any given couple, without even adding DNA from other folks. Nor is a kid's DNA only from their parents. Everybody is a little bit of a mutant so I don't think you can argue that splicing in one or two DNA sequences neither parent has makes them not their biological kid, even ignoring that anyone who has ever adopted a kid would not look favorably on the notion that your kid has to have your DNA. Also, we should keep in mind that we have been breeding plants, animals, and even humans for traits for a long time, and that is DNA alteration, just like the love potion example not done as scientifically. Ethically, the skill at which you tinker with someone should not matter to the morality of doing it, except that it is generally more ethical to do something if you are actually skilled at it rather than just making guesses and relying on luck and crackery. So we've got four issues there. First, is it okay to splice some DNA in to avoid a genetic trait both parents had that would lead to a terminal illness? Second, is it okay to alter DNA to avoid something that is debatable as a deficit, or at least not life threatening? Third, is it okay to add some trait that really isn't medically necessary, like splicing a gene to be tall if both parents were short and always felt disadvantaged by that? And fourth, Is it okay to be splicing in something from a different organism entirely or invented from the ground up in a lab? As an addendum to that, if it is not okay to do it with humans, is it okay to do it with non-human organisms, like glow-in-the-dark monkeys? What about putting human DNA into non-human organisms? Again no answers here beyond noting that there are plenty of historical and modern non-DNA equivalents, both successful and those equivalent to love potions. Parents want the best for their kids and that's part of the problem. If other folks start making their kids super athletic, handsome geniuses, then your kid hasn't changed but it raises the fear that they can't compete. So at least some folks will start doing it who otherwise would not just because they don't want their kid to be obsolete. If the process is expensive, will it be limited to the rich or those willing to mortgage their home or go to shady medical facilities for the process? Now, I find that iffy reasoning. First, a society that suddenly has a boom in geniuses is one that is more productive and more technologically advanced soon thereafter, so can probably make the process a lot cheaper and safer. Second, probably one of the better known traits of very smart people is a tendency to want to make other people smarter, arguably it's just a habit of experts wanting to gush about their field of expertise to anyone willing to listen. But I don't recall any of my own professors or friends teaching at school or university complaining about their students being too smart. I certainly recall them complaining about them not being too bright or being too lazy, so I think we can say that if we suddenly start spawning vats of geniuses they aren't going to decide to hoard knowledge or brains for themselves. I also can't speak for anyone else, but I've never had an urge to oppress or murder those dumber than me, albeit I've occasionally wanted to scream at them. Of course it might be different if they regarded themselves as a whole new species, but while kids often excel at things better than their parents did, very few seem to harbor patricidal tendencies so for gradual improvements I wouldn't think it would be an issue. Moreover, I don't think it would prevent the attempts, since again parents want what's best for their kids, and when we warn parents about striving too hard for that, it's usually because we're worried they're putting too much pressure on those kids, not out of a fear they're torn genocidal on the mundanes. But this does bring up another ethical issue. Not whether or not it's moral to genetically tweak your kid, but if it's immoral to do it without their consent, which they obviously can't give as a zygote or embryo, even a really smart one. And I think we'd have to say informed consent, too. Getting your toddler to willingly agree to jump in the gene splice or 3000 is not informed consent by an adult of sound mind. This is the problem, because at the moment, while this technology is still in its earliest infancy, it can only be done to folks in their earliest infancy. So consent isn't even an option. Now obviously folks have to make big decisions for their kids, you don't ask your kid if they want to learn to speak or get vaccinated, let alone if they want to be born in the first place. Still, it's a big change and would sit a lot better if it's a change that could be done as an adult. That also eliminates the obsolescence issue, since anyone could then get it done if they chose to. They could also get upgrades or changes or even downgrades later on as it improved or their desires changed. There is always a fear that the ultra-wealthy would hoard such technology, but while I can't dismiss that entirely, I tend to feel it's walking on an assumption of a zero-sum game. I do tend to place trust in humanity's better nature, especially when its members are acting under a spotlight and watching each other, but we don't actually need to. Everybody benefits in a society where folks are healthy, smarter, and live longer, there's no real advantage to keeping other folks unhealthy, dumb, or short-lived relative to yourself. Though I don't doubt some folks would prefer that and I suppose certain combinations of events might allow such a stratified dystopia. There could also be unforeseen consequences to a society that's healthier, smarter, and longer-lived, and we examined some of those in our post-scarcity civilization series. I think though the more likely situation is that folks who had alterations along these lines would encourage others to get them, not force them to get them, or deny access to them, and would generally raise the net productivity of society enough that even those folks left behind could still enjoy a much higher standard of living and opportunity than now, Of course, I am a noted optimist. Whichever the case though, it's not really a new problem, we arguably had it with education in the past, and it is also the same one we have with cybernetics. Indeed I'd actually expect cybernetics to be the more preferred route for folks trying to become superhuman, but they're also not exclusive. Some folks might prefer only the genetic route, maybe some only the cybernetic, but I'd imagine most who were okay with one would be okay with both. As a side note, I mentioned longer lives and that is actually an automatic consequence of being able to manipulate DNA in fully mature organisms. The basic notion is that you've got to replace all their DNA with altered versions, which is many trillions of them, throughout all trillions of cells, and a lot of what we call aging appears to be just the slow breakdown and mutational cancer of various cells in their DNA. So if you can go around replacing those with altered ones, expanded gene therapy as it were, it rather eliminates that aspect of aging. As we discussed in The Science of Aging there is more to achieving biological immortality than keeping your DNA fresh but just doing that alone would vastly extend lifespans. It also implies technologies that could be adapted to handle most of the other known aging problems too. Okay, so how do we actually do that? get into tens of trillions of cells in the typical human and replace their DNA? Well obviously we start by experimenting on non-humans and again the episode is DNA Manipulation in Living Subjects, which isn't limited to humans. It was a poor selected topic so I'm not sure of the intent of either the person who suggested it or the various folks who voted for it on our Facebook group but I'm assuming the main interest was humans. We'll talk about non-human applications briefly in a bit. The big ultimate fallback technology for tinkering with humans, either their DNA or just repairing damage, is always nanotechnology, specifically sending in trillions of self-replicating robots to go dive into each cell and get the job done, like repairing a damaged city brick by brick. But we already have nanotechnology whereas we don't have tiny autonomous machines or self-replicating ones, or rather we've got those too but we didn't actually make them, Hijacking all the microscopic organisms already floating around in humans or in other organisms is one possible method that seems more promising, at least in the short term, and could ultimately be functionally identical to the nanobot process. You've probably heard of CRISPR, clustered, regularly interspaced, short, palindromic repeats, and indeed is not from humans but may be a great boon to humans. Essentially it's DNA sequences that can be used as markers to identify and snip out a chunk of DNA and replace it with something else. This is pretty much what we do with tiny nanorobots too. By and large DNA is very good at replicating itself with minimum drift, so if you can tag and fix bits of a DNA strand, or replace them with a new one with a preferred sequence, you can basically let those little buggers run around doing the work. Alternatively, you might simply make a few cells of each type with the preferred feature and some tag of their own, then send in viruses to slowly kill off the cells that didn't have that tag. Your cells all replace themselves with time, so if you have a few healthy ones with a preferred tweak you can rely on them replacing the others if you can make those others more likely to die off than the new ones. You could also wholesale replace organs too. You aren't likely to reject some cloned organ that is your DNA with a couple minor tweaks. That might be one way for folks to gradually adopt genetic alteration, your heart is needing replaced and you get a new cloned one grown, but your doctor suggests you get the cloned version grown from your own DNA with a tweak or two to remove some defect or add a sequence that makes for healthier hearts. Your organs don't all have identical DNA to each other and it doesn't make you a Frankenstein monster either or more than we are now anyway, a DNA sample from one part of your body won't perfectly match a sample from another part or from a sample taken when you were younger anyway, this would just be more deliberate. I suppose it's unnatural but I'm still waiting on meaningful and workable definitions of natural and artificial that apply to anything humans do in the first place. If the replacement cloned organ does its job and doesn't get rejected, then it's a strictly philosophical issue that its DNA has been tweaked when we grew it. And since we didn't know what DNA was till the middle of last century, and not many philosophers have addressed the matter. Though let us not be too blasé about the risks and dangers of genetic engineering. They're already very real, if often exaggerated and treated as a boogeyman in my opinion, but as we get better at it those dangers will get more real too. It's great to make a crop that produces twice as much food off the same land, it solves a lot of food issues and ecological ones too, by requiring less land but there's obviously a lot of concerns about GMOs both in terms of nutrition and ecology, and these are, thus far, fairly minor tweaks. Some of those problems will go away just by getting better at it, but it also introduces new ones, since you can be a lot more ambitious. I dislike thinking of newly spawned organisms as freaks and abominations, but even I flinch a bit at the notion of a tree that we gene-hack to have blood instead of sap and grow meatballs as fruit. Fields of bacon grass that we mowed like hay has its appeal, most things involving bacon do, but perhaps some stones are best left unturned and some roads best not traveled. On the other hand, it would be pretty awesome if we could tweak some sort of core or shell organism to grow those roads for us and maintain them. As I said earlier, one of the methods of tweaking DNA in a living organism is to deploy nanobots to do it and we often think of using those same nanobots for building and maintaining structures. If we can circumvent nanobots by hijacking existing microorganisms to do those jobs inside us, and be comfortable with that, we can presumably do it for outside us too. There's a pretty blurry line between a hijacked organism being repurposed and genetically altered to serve that role and an outright nanorobot, and arguably no difference at all, same as we might say there's no difference between a cybernetic eyeball and a genetically altered vat-grown one. Interestingly, we might also expect nanobots to use something akin to DNA themselves and potentially even to be putting the schematics for those nanobots or gene-tweaked microorganisms into human DNA or RNA, or even a separate organelle like mitochondria, the powerhouse of our cells, which has its own distinct and very not human DNA but is still inherited down generations. Of course we're not limited to human examples, and given the ethical worries about it for humans, we might see alterations in animals before that. In an extreme case that might be outright uplifting, where you alter an animal neurologically and maybe physiologically to human levels, see that episode for details. In more simple cases, it is not necessarily making a cow that produces more milk, something we've been breeding them for down the centuries already. You might instead alter a plant or algae to grow milk instead. But altering animals for food production can be more indirect too, you might alter them to do the actual farming instead. We already use animals for pollinating crops and aerating soil, such as bees or worms do, and we've used large animals for dragging plows around too. You could potentially wire up animals to tend crops and pick fruits and nuts and deposit those in bins and take a share for themselves. Same as with the nanobots versus microorganism case, there's a gray area between fairly advanced automation and animals, and as we've discussed before it's a risky proposition to make an artificial intelligence smarter than it needs to be, so human-level AI might not be too common while animal-level AI and robots might be heavily used, but you might go entirely organic too, using squirrels or other small animals to plant and pick crops. You might genetically alter them to perform this behavior instinctively or just be smarter and easily trained to the task. The other direction of course is that you might decide Human plus AI is needed to tackle certain problems and be more comfortable using genetically altered humans who had bigger brains or just were retreat to be slightly better at certain types of thinking, reminiscent of the Mentats from Frank Herbert's Dune ethically speaking that's the sort of thing you'd rather do to an adult volunteer and via a process which could be reversed, and so we tend to think of that as a cybernetic augmentation, but if you can do DNA manipulation of adult organisms that door is open as an alternative too. That's a key notion also, because the ability to do it in living subjects means not just that it can be done with the informed consent of the subject, but that it can be reversed too. If you want to have your DNA tweaked to be covered in muscle or a savant at math or similar, being able to opt for it as an adult and able to reverse it is likely to be a huge factor in whether or not society is okay with such alterations and is why it's a very distinct thing from the notion of designer babies. I would not be surprised if we saw that, but I'd also not be surprised if we saw that ban too and only lifted when we could make changes to adults and reversible ones and ones which were not inherited, being specific to given organs rather than sperm or eggs. It avoids a lot of worries and opens up a lot of doors, though it's still quite the Pandora's box. Of course that's true of almost everything we discuss on the channel and a lot of the things our civilization is doing or has done in prior times too. So I suspect we will see this technology emerge, and probably this century, and probably for all sorts of applications, we can't even imagine yet. You might have noticed today that I mostly refer to genetic engineering or tweaking, rather than hacking something's DNA. And while these terms are synonymous, I avoided that because I suspect that involuntary or covert alterations to other people's genes, or infecting them with some equivalent of cybernetic or biological malware will be something we'll have to deal with in decades to come, and I'm betting that will be the term that gets used, genetic hacking. Pretty terrifying notion, we already warn people all the time not to use their laptop or other devices on public networks without taking precautions like a VPN, and the genetic equivalent would be more like a flu that you could pick up in public that rewired your DNA, the flu and other viruses also being a big concern these days with the coronavirus added to the mix. It's a bit interesting that we adapted medical terms to computer terms and might well adapt them right back to biology in an upcoming era of genetic alteration hacking, but for the moment we do have those computer viruses and malware to worry about, so I can't stress that point of a moment ago enough, don't use public networks unless you're running a VPN, Virtual Private Network, on your device. If you're looking for a good VPN I'd recommend Dashlane. It has over 11 million users, including myself, and I love that I can use it on all my devices seamlessly. It also has a ton of other features like a password manager that only you have access to. Even Dashlane can't see your passwords or data, nor do they store them themselves, unlike a lot of other sign-on solutions where it can get misused so they can make money off it by selling your data or hitting you with annoying ads. So you get a VPN, but also tons of other great features like one-click logins, autofill for personal info and payment details, high but secure mobility across many devices and platforms, and much more. If you'd like to give it a try, just use the link in the video description, Dashlane.com slash to get a free 30-day trial of Dashlane Premium, where you can see those features in action and try out Dashlane for yourself. If you like it, you can use the coupon code ISAACARTHUR at checkout for a 10% off discount. So next week we'll be back to the Fermi Paradox series for a look at the Zoo Hypothesis, the concept that we might not see aliens not because they hide from us and the rest of the Universe, but rather because they hide us from being able to see them or even maybe the real Universe. The week after that we will return to the Outward Bound series for Industrial Belts in Space. And see how the development of the solar system might unfold as our production and infrastructure develop on places like the Moon, Mars, the asteroid belt, and even the Sun itself. For alerts when those and other episodes come out, make sure to subscribe to the channel and hit the notifications bell. And if you enjoyed this episode, hit the like button and share it with others. And if you'd like to support some future episodes, visit our website, isaacarthur.net, to donate to the channel or check out some of the awesome SFIA merchandise. Until next time, thanks for watching and have a great week.